You're listening to a podcast from Turner's Hill Free Church. For more information and resources, visit turnershillfreechurch.org.uk. Well, if you uh, want to make yourself cry, I suggest, in a good way, I suggest uh, you go to YouTube and do a search for people hearing for the first time. You should write that down. And um, <laughs> there's a collection of... Uh, videos of people having these um, devices switched on. They're called cochlear implants, and they basically enable people who have hearing, uh, severe hearing problems to hear very, very well. Um, what's really interesting, most of the people aren't literally hearing for the first time. They, they have some hearing. Maybe uh, they're very deaf, they've got a hearing aid, they can just about make out noise and so on. But when these, uh, these cochlear implants, they're controlled by a computer. There's a little device on the side here, and they're wired in, and they, they stimulate the, the nerve inside the ear. And so they're literally switched on by a computer. So they can video the moment when these people begin to to hear. It's it's quite emotional. Um, and uh, there's just just a range of, of different responses. People crying, laughing. They're like, I can, I can hear your voice. Wow, I can't believe how deep the voice sounds. All, all sorts of things. It's really, really moving. And uh, I thought it was a nice contrast there. Here we are about 2,000 years after Jesus healed this deaf man. And we can just about begin to <laughs> do through technology what Jesus did in a moment for this guy. But there's this, um, I suppose, it, I just wanted to reflect on the emotional impact of what happened here and just trying to get us into the into the moment. There's this um, uh, group of people, they're not even Jewish. Uh, Jesus is in the region, they've heard about him. He's very famous. They bring their friend, he, uh, he's deaf, he can't speak properly. And Jesus takes him to one side, and when he brings him back, he can hear perfectly and speak perfectly. It's just a wonderful moment, isn't it? Just I wonder what the reaction of people would be like. More than my reaction watching YouTube, a little tear rolling down my cheek or something. Uh, more than the joy of the people who are like, I can hear properly, but this guy, just with no hope, no expectation, no awareness scientifically that it might be possible that he could hear, is suddenly able to hear. It's a, it's a really powerful thing. And just... This isn't the main point, but it is worth saying, because I'm going to talk about how this miraculous is symbolic. Uh, this, this miracle is, is symbolic, but it's worth saying that Jesus does still heal like this today. In fact, there's a, a, a member of staff at my school who was born deaf, and in his teenage years, um, he was a bit of a tear away, a bit of a rebel, had a bit of a crisis in his life. And in a dark time in his life, he had a dream in which he was drowning and Jesus walked him through the water and lifted him out of the water. And when he woke up, he could hear. Um, his name was Vernon, and he was a lab technician at my school. And uh, it was amazing, really. So Jesus does these things. If you know someone, <laughs> if you are someone who struggles with something that science or medicine says is impossible to heal, God can heal. <laughs> Worth saying, isn't it? Jesus is good. Yesterday, today, and forever. There's something even bigger going on in this passage. Um, actually, something even more important than the healing of hearing. Um, the Bible gives us a wonderful picture, a rich picture, something I think about a lot. I don't know if we talk about it enough, but really a picture of um, deafness and hearing as a, as a way of explaining our relationship to God. And if you go right back to... Um, the Bible's picture of what we were like before the fall, before sin entered the world. We have this picture of God's world being filled with his 
his word. So uh, John tells us that God created all things through his word. He's, he's telling us about himself. He's filling the world with his love. And of course, you have this picture of Adam and Eve in the garden, walking, talking to God and having fellowship with him, literally speaking. And so we've got this kind of twin picture of God's word being something that is literally about a, a personal relationship where there's talking happening because God walked in the garden with them. But also that the whole of creation, everything from the largest scale, the stars in the sky, you know, the, the whole world and, and the things around us, uh, and not just things God made, but also the things that happen, everything that happens one after the other, being ordered and created by God in such a way that he's basically speaking all the time his word through everything that exists and everything that happens. And what he's saying to us is what that song, that first song that we sang today was saying over and over again. He's saying, love, 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 love. And he's saying, he's saying, I love you through a literal relationship with us and through everything that's created and everything that happens. God expresses his, his love to us. So there's this picture that's powerful. I struggle to communicate it well to you, uh, the kind of place it has in my heart. But it's this picture of we exist in this kind of cascade, this fullness of, of God's love towards us, pouring over us words of, you know, words upon words upon words. God's never ceasing and never ending, fully expressive. I love you. I love you. I love you. And in return, as we hear uh, God's word to us, our hearts are filled with joy as we hear that the God of the universe loves us and we are filled with a desire to praise him. And as we hear him, we are able to express in return a perfect response. That, that's, that's how God made us to be. That's what human beings were like right at the beginning, before sin came into the world. And in this exchange of hearing God's perfect love for us and us being able to say perfectly back to him, we love you, Ex- exists eternal life. That is, a, that is the content of what it means to have eternal life in all its, its fullness, to exist in this relationship that never, never ceases, never stops. I, just, I wish I could just take out my heart and turn it into words for you. But I think that is a wonderful picture that God gives us. And you'll find that, you'll find that in Genesis and in the Psalms, the creation declares the glory of God, and in John and in Colossians, it's all saying the same thing. God is speaking to us constantly of his love. But the Bible also tells us that there's this sad side to this, to that description, which is that we can no longer hear that word. We are deaf to it. So although objectively it's still true that God is still everything that happens and everything that exists, uh, and in his relationship to us, he's still declaring constantly this cascade of love into our, into our lives, telling us how much he loves us. We are, because sin is in the world, we are deaf to it. We can't hear him speaking to us personally. We, we look at the world around us and naturally speaking, we think it's either meaningless or full of evil. And you'll hear people say those things very, very frequently in the media, in our, in our culture today. <laughs> The things around us are meaningless or even evil. And because we can't hear him, of course, we've got no chance of expressing in return our love for him. We we don't know how much he loves us. Our hearts aren't filled with that joy. And even when we try to praise God, it comes, you know, it just comes out wrong. It comes out like, uh, or we're just unable to. Uh, And because of that, we don't have this eternal life. Because there's no conversation 
Because we are spiritually deaf, we are also spiritually dead. We can't hear his love, we can't hear his voice, we can't hear his warnings, we can't hear his law, and so we cannot live. So there's this big picture. And the Bible picks up this theme of God's word and our deafness and uses it as a, as a description to explain what our salvation involves. And in particular, it talks about what the Messiah will do when he, when he comes. When God comes in, in human form and God himself comes, he, he will come and he will restore hearing to the deaf. And in particular, Isaiah 35. If you, feel free to turn to it or you can take my word for it and check on it later if you like. Isaiah 35 talks about the deaf hearing when the Messiah comes. The, sight, the, the blind will receive the sight, the deaf will hear. And it's really interesting. The reason I'm mentioning Isaiah 35 is because Mark, in his description of this event, very deliberately picks up that this is the fulfillment of Isaiah 35. For you guys who are really interested in the language and going to take this away with you, the word that Mark uses to describe this man who can't speak is only used one other place in Scripture, in the Greek version of the Old Testament, in Isaiah 35. It's megalilos. You don't have to remember that. You just need to know that it's only used in two places. So if you heard that, you'd be like, that reminds me of Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35 also talks about people from Lebanon, which is where Jesus was in this story, coming, joining in with the Jewish people in their praise of God. And it talks about the deaf hearing and so on. And all of those things, uh, Mark is linking them. And just as an aside, just uh, if you're interested in the structure of Mark's gospel, you can remember that stuff. Mark has this bigger theme He's, uh, of basically highlighting the fact that Jesus, uh, Jesus came for the Jews and the Gentiles. And what's happening here is uh, Jesus has gone into a Gentile region and is doing the same miracles there as he did among the Jews. And so he's, he's highlighting those things. But he's particularly highlighting this, this salvation. Uh, the deaf will hear. So Mark is saying, it's happening. Jesus is here. The Messiah is here. God is, is among us and he's doing what he's promised. He's bringing this salvation that will open ears so that we can hear God's word once more. We can have this personal relationship with him and hear him speak to us personally, but also our ears are open to all his word in creation and in all the things that happen around us. We can hear once again this wonderful uh, speech of God towards us and we can begin to praise him again. Today, that's happening, Mark is saying. It's happening among you. If, if you don't know Jesus, he, he's saying, you know, you can have this, this wonderful gift. It's, it's life that is completely different from the life you've known. If you feel like there's something missing, there's a, there's a part of life that somehow you are born to know, but you don't know, then maybe it's this spiritual deafness that the Bible talks about. And God wants to open your ears to fill your life with this joy of knowing him. That's the offer. So, a big picture of salvation uh, kind of lays a, a, a wonderful foundation, I think. And if you keep that picture in your mind, I think it will serve you well. That what God wants to do for you is to open your ears to his word in all things. So you can hear his love for you uh, in every sense. I just want to bring up four short points um, that I think emerge from this picture and uh, particularly relevant to us this morning. I think God would like to bring these things to you. 
So I'm humbly submitting them to you um, as his word. So firstly, the first point I want to bring this morning, aside from that big picture, is this. I think we have in this healing a, a picture of Christ's humiliation. So Jesus descended to, to earth. He became a man, came down from heaven to be among us, and he, he took on our flesh and entered into our sinful condition. And we have a picture of that here. Jesus, in healing this man, does some pretty uh, weird stuff. As if, you, if you were paying attention during the reading, you know, he takes him to one side, he spits. It doesn't actually say, does he just spit to one side, or it doesn't actually tell us. He spits, he touches the man's tongue, he puts his fingers in his ears, he groans, and then he says this word in Aramaic, ephatha, which means be opened. That's kind of weird, right? Particularly weird is the fact that he touched the guy's tongue. This guy was a Gentile, so for a Jew to be in a kind of in close proximity to a Gentile is quite a big deal. But for Jewish people, pretty much all bodily fluids were considered unclean. So to touch someone's saliva was something you weren't allowed to do. So for Jesus, this apparently holy man, uh, to put his fingers on a Gentile's tongue, it was kind of like kissing a pig, basically. It was, that's kind of like how a Jewish person, what are you doing? You know, it's so grubby. Like, uh, it would have defiled him. It would have made him unclean. And there's a picture in that of Jesus' willingness to humble himself and enter into our uncleanness to save us. He, Jesus being the Son of God, became a man, submitted to uh, being in the form of a, a servant, a slave, became obedient to death, even death on the cross. He humbled himself. And in a sense, if we take that picture of our deafness to God's love, actually I think the Bible would paint a picture for us that Jesus willingly entered into a place where, although he, as a man, although he knew the Father's love for him, he willingly went to a place where he could no longer hear that declaration of love when he died for us on the cross. He, he entered into our deafness. And we see that at the, what we call the cry of dereliction on the cross. And Jesus, in a, in a moment of, uh, a peak moment of agony at the cross, when it's, it's, it, the fact that the sins of the world are laid upon his shoulders becomes apparent to him. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there's this, there's this drama of this moment that is it's easy to speak about, but perhaps less easy to understand, where the Son of God in his humanity is unable to hear the Father's love and gives this cry. Cry of dereliction. And just... Uh, God would remind us that he entered into that place for us. He entered into that place for you. And I just, for me, I'm overwhelmed with, with his love. To, as much as that first picture moves me, this, uh, this idea of being able to constantly hear and to God's love for me and to be able to praise him. Imagine having that, that fullness of joy, that life, and willingly going to a place where you could no longer have it. It's quite astonishing. And 
There's another aspect to this mirror of Christ's humiliation. At the same time, as uh, Jesus is, is giving this cry of dereliction, he is also, symbolically, he is crying out these words that he, that he says here, Ephatha, he is declaring to the universe these words, be opened. Because hell itself is opened, as those who've died before Christ uh, receive for the first time the gospel. The grave is opened, as those who uh, up until now have only been, could look forward to death and uncertainty can now look forward to resurrection through faith in Jesus Christ. Christ's tomb is open so that he can, he can come out. And heaven is opened so that all who believe in Jesus can live with God. So there's this parallel here. And he opens our ears, of course, upon the cross to hear for the first time what God has been saying all this time, which is I love you, and restores to us by his blood, cleansing us, our ability to say in return, God, we love you. So a picture of Christ's humiliation, the second point is is this, why does, there's there's a question about this situation. Why does Jesus do all this weird stuff? This, this, this chap's friends, they bring him to Jesus. They beg Jesus to heal him. Perhaps they've heard stories about Jesus healing with a word, with a command. In fact, just before this passage, Jesus says to a woman who has got a demon-possessed daughter, he just says, that's fine, I don't need to come to your house. Go home, she's well. So Jesus doesn't need to do weird stuff to heal, heal people. He doesn't need to spit or groan or put his fingers in someone's ears or touch their tongue. He doesn't need to do that. He could have just said... He could have said anything. He didn't have to say "ephatha." He could have said "blup" or something. You know, he could have said anything. He didn't. didn't he just. He could have waved his hand, and this guy would have been here. Why did he do it? I, I can think of one reason, and I'll admit this isn't in the passage I'm preaching. But I can think of just one reason why. It certainly wasn't for Jesus. It was for the man himself, right? So that he would understand what was happening. He is profoundly deaf. He cannot hear anything. I'm guessing they didn't have. Lebanese sign language in the first century. So Jesus couldn't explain to him what he was going to do. The culture at the time, if you read the commentaries, they'll say, it, uh, the funny thing is that like Gentile supposedly magic or holy men would go around and they would do things like this. They would spit and they would put their fingers in people's ears and all sorts of funky stuff, to, you know, as a kind of ritual magic. Jesus definitely, definitely wasn't doing any kind of ritual stuff. But what he was doing, I think he was making plain to this deaf guy Here's what's about to happen. <laughs> I'm going to heal you. You're going to be able to hear. <laughs> and you're going to be able to speak. Because his fingers are on his last tongue. He's, he's making it clear. So, it's not just this man could be healed. It's so that he could understand that he was being healed. You see that? I think that's a good point. You're not nodding, but I'm going to take it that you've understood it anyway. <laughs> And so the second point I want to just bring to you really is the beauty of the cross, this humiliation of Jesus for our sake, his entering into our deafness for our sake, is not just about healing our deafness. It doesn't just save us, but it makes clear that God intends to save us. It, it, It communicates to us more clearly than anything else that God saves. 
The cross is, if you like, it is a way of breaking through to a deaf world. Uh, the, the words, God loves you. Nothing communicates God's power, uh, God's love for us, and his power to enable us to know that love like the cross. It reveals to us his intentions to us, doesn't it? God gave his only son. It reveals to us his character, the God of the whole universe. He could demand anything, do anything, would not be without us. I was, uh, saw a video one of the guys from, um, from the Bible College in India posted, and it was uh, an interview with a, a, um, a young girl, not a young girl, a young woman, uh, in somewhere in North Africa, didn't exactly say where. She was giving her testimony. She was from a Muslim background. Uh, she'd lived a pretty wild life, and at some point she had been radicalized, and she was going to join ISIS. She says in her, she was going to make a journey to Syria and see what she could do. And um, in her radicalization, she'd become obsessed. She said she hated people who weren't Muslims. She'd become obsessed with watching gruesome videos on the internet, you know, explicit videos of killing and so on. And her whole life revolved around getting to this point where um, she could join in with this this jihad against the unbeliever. But she says one day her mum, not being able to... Uh, well, she still lived at home and she was planning these things. Her mum, not being able to uh, turn down a gift, came home with an armful of books that somebody was giving away, just random books. But in amongst these books was a Bible. And so she thought, well, I'm going to read this Bible and then I can tell any Christians that I meet why they're wrong. <laughs> I can, you know, I can add this to my, my arsenal. And as she read, she was stopped in her tracks by the beauty of Christ. She reading words like, love your enemies. You know, and she said, she said, they spoke to me in a way that nothing else did. I could see suddenly that all the things that I planned were just like a, a dead end. And that as much as they had appealed to me, that there was this more beautiful way. And of course, all those things embodied, not just Jesus' teaching, but suddenly he lives them out as you read the Gospels, as he himself goes to the cross. And this one is so beautiful. She was like, my heart's now, I love Jesus, my heart's so full of peace. You know, there's a, uh, she gets baptized and, you know, it's just so amazing. Nothing can open the ears of those who are deaf to God's love, like the cross. God wants us, wants it, not just you and me. He wants the world to know that he can save. He wants the world to know that he loves them. And nothing speaks that more powerfully. Nothing communicates that to a deaf world like the, like the cross. Um, John Stott says this about, um, about it. He says, um, the value of a love gift is assessed both by what it costs the giver and by the degree to which the recipient may be held to deserve it. A young man who is in love, for example, will give his beloved expensive presents, often beyond what he can afford, as symbols of his self-giving love, because he believes she deserves them. Jacob, in the Bible, served seven years for Rachel because of his love for her. But God, in giving us his son, gave himself to die for his enemies. He gave everything for those who deserved nothing from him. And that is God's proof of his love towards us. It's incredible communication that makes clear to a deaf world God's love is that it's the means of our salvation. So, to bring that to an application, in, in our story today, this man's friends 
clamoured for Jesus' attention. It says that they, they gathered around him and they begged Jesus to lay hands on their deaf mute friend. Because they knew Jesus healed. You know that the message of the cross and the life of Christ and supremely his death communicates more powerfully than anything else the love of God. And you know, if you're a Christian, you know that more than anything else, that message of God's salvation, his forgiveness for us, his love for us declared on the cross can open the ears of those that you know and love. And God would just say to you, gather around, bring them under the sound of the gospel. Bring them to Jesus and and beg him to to lay his hands on those that you know and love who don't know him yet. So this question is of application for you. Who do you know? Think of someone, be specific in your mind. Who do you know right now who doesn't know Jesus, who is deaf to God's love for them, who who wouldn't even think of a word of praise to, to the God who made them? It doesn't even cross their mind. Who do you know? A friend whose life is meaningless, Maybe they're spiraling into depression. And God would say, bring them to the cross. Bring them under the sound of the gospel. Maybe you've got a friend who's lost in selfish pleasure-seeking or just acquiring the goods of the world and just nothing they do can fill that gap, can unstop that deafness, can give them the thing that they're missing. God would say, bring them under the sound of the cross. You know, Speak to them. Tell them about Jesus. You can Tell them everything you want about Christianity, but make sure you include the message of the cross. Bring them to church for a gospel event. So any time when I tell you I guarantee a gospel message will be preached, bring people under the sound of the cross. And, and if you can't bring them and it's too much to talk to them, or on top of all those things, get on your knees and beg Jesus to lay his hands on them, to open, to, so that they will come into contact with this wonderful, life-giving message. Maybe you even know some wandering Christians who in despair have stopped hoping to hear God's voice. Remind them. Remind them of God's love for them on the cross. Let Jesus lay his pierced hands on their tongue, open their ears and speak those words over them. So nothing opens people's ears like the cross of Christ. The third point I just want to bring to you today is um, this passage speaks to the fact that our own healing our own healing of this deafness to God's word is not finished. There's something remarkable here. This, this man is healed of his deafness and is able to speak in one go. <laughs> Just like that. There's no learning process, there's no adjustment, you know, there's no kind of, wow, I can't take the noise. You know, and he's walking around with uh, ear protectors for a while as he gets used to everything. He is just completely healed. And for that reason, it's, it's a picture of our, the totality of our salvation from beginning to end. One day we will be like that, completely able to hear God's love for us and completely able to respond perfectly to his love for us. 
But you know that picture I gave you at the beginning of uh, example on YouTube with these people getting their cochlear implants turned on. There are some of those people who have never heard, almost never heard anything before. There's this one, uh, one video of a uh, set of twins who have no hearing. They turn on these implants and there's just kind of like this bewilderment. It's kind of like, what? And they're kind of staring around like, and it's not very, not entirely, it's not the joy, not the camera, you know, and, and they have to learn over time to make sense of the, the sounds they hear. They have to, you know, I'm sure it'll take them years to begin to articulate words and so on. And for becoming a Christian, for many people becoming a Christian, it is like you're suddenly able to hear. There's a sudden whoosh of understanding, often through the message of the cross and our need for forgiveness and God's grace to us. And I know some of you have that wonderful testimony of waking up one morning just completely ignorant <laughs> of God's love, even opposed to it. And just reading the Bible or having someone explain it to you and suddenly just like, wow, I can hear. And some of you have more gradual uh, experiences of, of coming to know God, maybe as through your experiences growing up in church and so on. But either way, no matter whether it's sudden or gradual, there is this ongoing process. We're not like this man who suddenly has everything. We aren't given this ability to hear and to praise God all in one go. And I just feel like something God would say to you this morning, to me too, is uh, he wants to give us encouragement in that. To say that actually, you know what? There are going to be times, seasons in the Christian life, when you feel deaf to my love again. When you feel unable to praise me again. And you know what? That's part of the process. It's not all given in one go. And when you find yourself in those situations, is don't give in to despair. Don't think that he's somehow finished with you. Don't think that you're missing something. You know, so seasons in, in the Christian life when prayer is so easy, when, you know, just praying about the most simple thing and I'll fill up with wonder and joy and love for God and wow, I just, you know, words over spilt. And there are other times when. You, know, just, you can hardly say anything at all. I feel, you know, un, uninspired by things I know I was inspired by like a week before. You ever feel like that? You know, times when uh, you know, we can be so full of love for others and delighting in the people around us, and especially in our brothers and sisters in Christ, and there's times when you, know, you just don't feel those things. There's uh, times when we're full of hope and we're like, yes, God, everything is going to be good. And I can, I can pretty much see like this motorway stretching to, uh, to heaven until you return. I can see how it's all going to pan out. Everything is going to be great. And there are other times when it's just like, and the whole thing's just hidden from our sight, isn't it? And we just think, is, this, is there ever an end to this? Is, is this real? You can even have those doubts about, you know, am I kidding myself? Those deep, deep doubts. There's times, you know, I can walk, uh, Take Monty for a little walk down through Butcher's Wood, and I'd be like, God, you're amazing. Went through the woods and fields, I wonder, la la la. <laughs> and other times I'm just like, wow, just, it just has no impact on me at all. And, and so in that experience, I guess what I'm trying to say to you in everyday things is, sometimes we experience a little bit of that first picture I tried to paint for you of, we hear God's love for us, and we're like, wow, God loves me, and we're able to respond with this overflowing praise. We get glimpses of that, and then other times it's like we can't hear again. 
And yes, that can be because of sin, it can be because of things we've done. But that's not what I think God wants to talk to us about today. I think he wants to say, you know, it's okay that that happens. We find ourselves sometimes crying out. Even David, writing the psalm, Psalm 38, he says this, I'm like the deaf who cannot hear, like the mute who cannot speak. I've become like one who does not hear. His mouth can offer no reply. That's David writing a psalm. <laughs> you know, like, isn't that amazing? Just God would remind us. Just three little incidents that encourage us in here. Firstly, Jesus takes this man away from the crowd. He wants to remind you very simply, in his dealings with you, he deals with you as an individual. So the way that he deals with somebody else is not the same way that he deals with you. So if you're looking at someone else and they're like full of joy and happiness and you've just had this long stretch of good stuff happening to them and you're like, so why is this stuff happening to me? It's because that's what God needs to do in your life. Don't be worried about how he's dealing with other people. Jesus gives this groan before he speaks his words, Ephrathah. He just reminds you of his compassion for you. This groan, is it's a groan of pity, of compassion, of his desire to see this man he's never heard, released and able to hear. You know, don't doubt God's intentions for you when you're in that season, when you can't hear or respond to his love. Jesus is groaning for you. He is in heaven praying for you. And not the kind of, not, you know, he's got a list of billions of people he's got to pray for. Pray for Jeff, pray for Sarah, and pray for Nick, pray for Matt. He's praying for you with a groaning compassion. He loves you personally, individually. And just coming back to this, you know, he wanted that man to know what was going on. The cross gives us that assurance. You know, God is not going to, he's not got halfway with you and gone, no, oh, this is too much. I just can't work with the material. <laughs> this person's too stubborn or too broken or too sinful or too slow or whatever it is. You know, the cross gives us that assurance that he will never give up in enabling us to bring us to that place where we can hear him perfectly and praise him perfectly. He's never going to stop. You know, that great hymn says, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within Upward I look and see him there who put an end to all my sin. That's Jesus on the cross. So maybe you're here this morning and you're tempted to despair. Whether it's sin inside, whether it's the situations, whether it's you know, one thing after another in, in your home or your business or, or whatever it is, and you're kind of like, God, what is going on? These three things, he's dealing with you individually. He loves you so much. He's groaning with compassion for you. And the cross is your guarantee that he is not finished with you and he's never going to be finished with you. So, you know, there are times when we're in those times and we are tempted to despair, actually. It comes out in different ways. You know, we, can, uh, we feel like a failure any, about something and so we give up in another area, like in our speech or in being gracious to people or being humble with people, being disciplined in, in our prayer lives or, you know. We find ourselves stumbling over some minor sin and then the devil comes along and says, 
well, you know, you might as well be hung for a sheep as a lamb, so. Philly boots. You can just confess it next week. And, <laughs> and in those times, God, he's, he doesn't just want to reassure you. He wants to instruct you. When you can't hear, when you're in that place and you find it hard to respond, don't despair, but respond with hope. So the, the, David, when he writes that psalm, he says, yes, I'm deaf like one who cannot hear. I, 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 my mouth can offer no reply. But he finishes that verse with these words, Lord, I wait for you. You will answer. Lord, my God. And God wants us to make that confident declaration. Paul writes it in Romans 8. He says this thing that's you know, it's just a favorite verse so many people. I love it so much. Um, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And he lists these things, nakedness and persecution, a famine and sword, danger, all these terrible things that can happen to us can not separate us from the love of God. Those things, if they happen to you, if someone attacks you or you end up with no clothes or you end up in a famine or you end up persecuted, they're not going to be pleasant things. They're not going to be situations where you're saying, God loves me so much and I'm finding it so easy to praise him right now. There are going to be times when you're tempted to despair. And what God says is, respond with faith and hope. Respond upon that assurance that, yes, I'm dealing with you personally and I love you so much and my cross is the guarantee of that. And so, so the one who's persecuted, when there's persecution, the martyr bends his neck and refuses to recant his faith. That's not despair, that's hope. When there's famine, the Christian refuses to steal or exploit his neighbor. When there's danger or sore, we refuse to protect ourselves at the expense of others and give ourselves to the people around us. These are big things, but that you can... Dull them down to everyday situations. When you're tempted to, sp- to despair, respond with hope. You know, and that cry of dereliction I, I told you about earlier, when Jesus is on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is the ultimate example of that. Because to the people around it who heard him say that, they thought, he, he can't, he, you know, he no longer hears God's love for him, and so he's giving up. And yet they're the first words of a psalm that begin with, I will stand in the assembly of the faithful and declare God's faithfulness. And so in that moment when he can't hear, in his human nature, he can't hear the Father's love for him, and all goodness and all light has been blocked out, his words are silent, and all he can bring is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is responding with hope in God. And there's maybe a situation for you uh, today that you're in, that God would say, respond not with despair, but with hope. Declare his faithfulness. You don't have to manufacture it. You don't have to make yourself feel positive. You don't have to pretend you can hear him when you can't, but respond with faith. And I think if we're going to have a ministry time today, if there's an opportunity, I think it'd be good to pray for that. Pray for ears to be opened for you guys. If you're in a situation where you're finding it hard to hear, pray, pray for mouths to be opened so that we can declare his praise with our lips. Pray for hope and faith to respond in the situation you're in. I think it would be good to pray for that. Just to finish then, fourth point. I think just this picture of salvation gives us, I think, a really helpful guide to how to grow in our faith. You know, if you uh, if you had a jigsaw puzzle but you had no idea what the picture was, that would be pretty hard to put together, wouldn't it? You get one of those bags full of jigsaw pieces but no box or something. It would be almost impossible to piece together. And yet I think sometimes when it comes to following Jesus, we can be a bit like that. 
You're like, we'll say very easily, yeah, God wants to make me like Christ. <laughs> I want to be mature. I'm going to be discipled. I'm going to be holy. And all these words come out, but actually having a clear picture of what that looks like is not always that easy. And I think this picture of being able to hear God's love, being free, uh, released from this deafness and being able to praise him is a great picture of our salvation, something to aim for. There's this hope that God is going to restore us to that that thing that Adam lost, that despite our sin, despite this this terrible journey that we've been on of rebellion against God and the long journey back, and God's graciousness to us in, in amongst all those things, God isn't going to say, "Well, you messed up, so you know I'll fix it, but I can't fix it perfectly." He's going to restore to us this wonderful situation where one day we will, like Jesus Himself, be able to perfectly hear God's declaration of love. One-to-one, we will hear him say to us, face-to-face, I love you, and we'll have a relationship with him. Through all created things, we will perceive God's wisdom and beauty and goodness and love for us. Through every circumstance and event that happens, we will see God's mighty hand and love at work. And there will never be a single doubt in our minds. There will never be any lack of experience of God's love for you. And in that, we will be able to fill with this life that pours out of us, of never-ceasing praise, where we can say things in worship and in prayer. We can articulate those things. And we, we, every part of our life, every moment of life, and every situation in life, we can praise him and give him his due. And Zephaniah, the prophet, says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior, he saves you. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. And that's a wonderful picture of where we're headed. One day we'll hear God's song of love for us. So, I just wanted to give you that picture and just say, let it guide you in your Christian faith. Let the idea that you can hear God's voice and praise him fully, let the idea that every part of your life can do that, um, guide your walk as a Christian. So there's this puzzle lying before you. All your pieces are there. Every part of your life is there. Home and work and family, friendships and marriage and church and everything is there before you. God is going to assemble all that stuff into a great big picture that all communicates his love. What are the bits that don't fit yet? What are the parts of your life that don't make sense? Where you don't understand that this is God saying I love you? What are the parts of your life where you're not saying back to God I love you? He's going to assemble them all. I mean, that's a big project, right? That's not going to be done in this lifetime. But if we want to grow, he wants us to place those pieces together. And I think he would just challenge us quite specifically. There are parts of that piece, parts of that puzzle, God would say, you know, for too long that's just been on the side. He wants to place it. There's a part of your life that doesn't make sense in terms of your discipleship. An area where you think God's not there, or he's not interested, or this hasn't got anything to do with my faith. And he wants to say, no, even in that part of your life, I love you and you can praise me. 
you can hear my word and you can speak it back to me. Uh, I don't have any specific suggestions, but I felt it was right to bring that to you and uh, challenge you with it. So, maybe we can ask him to reveal what those things are. We can ask him to open our ears and release our mouths. Should we pray?